The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, really joyful to hear about all the offerings here at IMC. I have a lot of mudita for everyone in this community with all these beautiful offerings and also really joyful to sit with all of you this morning, just noticing that joy, um, the, the sense of sangha. Um, it's just a nice thing to stop and reflect on kind of the wholesome feelings that arise because it's part of the practice, noticing where where we're experiencing a true sense of joy and happiness and connection and maybe, you know, noticing its absence when it's not there, just taking in that information in our mindful awareness. And so taking that in this morning. So I'm going to talk about um, one of the things that really can um, bring us joy in the practice this morning. The um, Talk about what we translate as concentration, what we talk about as concentration and the connection to mindfulness and some other factors of the mind. But it's a term, this um, term concentration that can cause some inner contraction sometimes for some people. Um, It it, um, evokes this idea that we have to focus or bear down, you know, sort of on the present moment. And I think that's, that's pretty much a misnomer. So, um, at least in my experience. So um, I want to explore that more and talk about concentration as letting go. Um, Talk about the aspect of letting go that's involved in what we call concentration. So just to get some technical things out of the way, in this practice in the Theravada tradition, there's at least a couple of ways that concentration is described or practiced. There's a real concentration absorption on uh, practice on you know, relatively unchanging objects, and that's like where you get absorbed in the jhanas. But um, mostly what we're practicing in daily life, and in a lot of times on retreat also in this tradition, is um, um, what we're doing is um, cultivating a momentary concentration. So what it is, is, you know, just to use kind of colloquial terms, is strings of mindfulness strung together, connected together, and in that way, the more continuity of mindfulness, the more moments of mindfulness that are connected in the mind stream, the more we're, we're, the more we're um, kind of dropping in to momentary concentration. Um, and as I said, I'm going to talk about it as a practice of letting go and some factors of mind that contribute to that. And um, just to let you know, I'm gonna, mindfulness is one of these factors, as I've just said one of these factors of mind. So I'm going to explore, explore that a little more. And then there are a couple of things that are called vichaka and vichara, Pali words. I'm going to un- unpack those, and those contribute to concentration. Um, and, and I'm going to talk really about letting go, stillness, noticing stillness in the mind, um, how that plays into concentration, and then loving kindness in the way that that is really a necessary ground, loving kindness for ourselves. It's really a necessary ground for being able to drop into this continuity of mindfulness that we call concentration. So mindfulness, you know, you can, it kind of can't be fully described ever. It never seems like any particular definition is that satisfactory to me, but we can talk about it as remembering to be aware of the present moment's experience, whatever it is without reacting to it, you know, without judging it. 
And so that kind of points to, that basic definition kind of, kind of points to the letting go that I'm, that I'm talking about. Because in order to, you know, drop into that non-reactive state, um, we have to let go of what, let go of the reaction, let go of the pattern and the conditioning, conditioned reaction that the mind, the mind is habituated to. It's habituated to judging what's happening. It's habituated first to seeing it as pleasant or unpleasant and then reacting, pushing it away, trying to grasp onto it if it's pleasant, even though we can't because it's slipping away. So there's letting go, you know, in mindfulness itself. It's a, it's a basic sort of aspect of mindfulness. So we're systematically letting go of the hindrances. And just to review the hindrances, these are the things that obscure mindfulness or concentration. Greed, wanting something. Aversion, not wanting something that's happening right now. Restlessness or worry. So just that feel, that feeling of restlessness or worry in the mind, it can manifest in the mind or in the body. Sleepiness or dullness, sloth and torpor. And um, doubt either self-doubt or doubt about the, skeptical doubt about the practice. So those are, you know, we're letting go into, so that's an ask, that just points to how mindfulness has this letting go within it. And we can get caught in the kind of karmic loops of reacting to reacting, you know, compounding that. We can see that. So we need to, you know, notice that. And then there's a practice of letting go of that. And, for example, you know, we can see that we're frustrated and then be upset, you know, and then react to that frustration. Say, oh, I should be being mindful right now. Um, And then notice that we're um, judging ourselves and then judge the judging. (laughs) And then build a story that I'm not a good meditator. Um, that's an aversive story about ourselves, not, not living up to what, you know, the mind thinks we should be. And then, and then it can go on from there, and it's going to be like, well, maybe I should just, you know, kind of give this up, and then we're in doubt territory. Um, but it's like, you know, we can get into these karmic loops. So we, there is this way in which we need to let go of the expectations of what the present moment should be. So we can bring mindfulness when we're mindfulness to these hindrances, letting go of the reactions to the hindrances, and being... And, and resting into just taking them as the object when they're, when they're present without reacting to them. And in that way, we're bringing the letting go into the experience even of the reactivity, if that makes sense. So that way, we're continuing with mindfulness even when there will be, in moments, a hindrance in the mind. Um, so for example, if there's judging in the mind, it's like, oh, if you rest back, oh, judging feels like this and feel it in the body and in the mind. And while that may be present, in the next moment, there's a mindful resting into it. So we're cultivating more and more continuous mindfulness by just always turning back to the mindfulness and creating that more continuity. And so it's a process of letting go at whatever stage we might find ourselves to be in the present moment. You know, we might be there and just with something resting and there may not be any reactivity in the mind. But if there is, then we just turn our attention to that reactivity. So it's cultivating that continuous turning back and beginning again with mindfulness that will give us greater continuity so we can have this concentration. Um, And it, you know, 
can give us a it can, concentration. Part of the reason I want to talk about it is can can bring a significant amount of joy into the practice, and we can take some delight in it. Um, so these other fact, a couple of other factors of mine I wanted to kind of talk about are vichaka and vichara, Pali words. And this is getting kind of closer into like what is actually happening when we're practicing. We can look at it. It's so fascinating, I think. I, I guess I'm kind of a nerd. I really like to look at the mind and see how does it work and, you know, what's going on in there. <laughs> um, and uh, vichaka and vichara, these two functions of mind, um, you know, classically talked about as those aspects that are kind of the triggering points, the launching points for mindfulness and concentration. So vichaka is the function of mind that directs us to the object or the present moment of experience. It's just directing, it's just that aspect of, okay, turning, I'm going to be mindful now and it actually happens. So (laughs) noticing what's happening in the present moment. Um, uh, I'll be mindful of the breath and then actually noticing, oh, a little trembling at the nose and really having some awareness and intimacy with that object that's directing the mind you've directed it vichara is sustaining the um, mindfulness on the object Um, so and it's really helpful to have images for this and one of the ones that I really love is kind of an ancient one Buddha Gosa described it this way so um, directing the mind to an object is like a bee flying to the flower just kind of flying to the flower. And then sustaining the mind on the object is the bee buzzing around the flower. So we're like kind of hovering around our experience and investigating it, seeing what its quality is. That's sort of, that's the um, vichara, sustaining. And in that moment, you know, that's where we're kind of experiencing this intimacy with our experience that we, that is... Um, can really bring some delight to the mind. It's often kind of this wonderful experience we have when we realize in our mindfulness practice that we can have this, we can actually let go of all that reactivity that I was talking about that's habitual and notice and rest into the present moment and some this kind of delight arises with intimacy with the object. So it's just, it's helpful to know that, well, for thousands of years and definitely in the suttas, these basic functions of mind were identified and they're, the, they're kind of the, the springboard for concentration, what, what we call concentration and what I like to think about as really letting go into the present moment of experience into a continuity of mindfulness. That's, those are, that's the springboard. And again, with the, I, one of the reasons I love the image of the bee hovering around is because the bee, because a bee has a kind of a, even though its wings are flapping so hard, there's this kind of, you know, there's this effort there. There's also a way in which the bee looks like it's just kind of floating without some kind of um, tense effort or focus behind it. Um, it's it's uh, checking it out, checking out whatever the object is. Um, not forcing, not forcing itself, you know, just, just a very natural image. And, and it is a really natural state for us to be in, to be in mindful awareness and to be intimate with the present moment. Um, yeah, I guess it's Sutajaniya, he likes to say, you know, awareness is natural or um, there's a large focus in his teachings on, you know, it's natural and what we're doing is... Um, 
I don't want to misquote him, but um, mindfulness is a natural state of being. We're just cultivating it more and dropping it into the mind stream more and more to create, a, create these different habits of mind rather than the reactivity that we normally experience. Yeah, so, and, and letting go. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about that's kind of, I guess you could call it a factor of mind, I don't know, but um, just directly talking about letting go and stillness, the aspect of stillness that's involved in concentration, the stillness of the mind. And it's so interesting because, um, you know, I start off talking about, well, we, co- we translate this word, it's samadhi in Pali. We translate this word into concentration. And um, Ajahn Brahm, who's this Australian monk, um, great teacher uh, all over YouTube. He says that samadhi has been mistranslated as concentration and should actually be concentrated, actually be translated as stillness. So, interesting thing to think about, at least if we stop thinking about concentration and start thinking about stillness instead. Um, and it can be helpful to really develop images of this as well. Um, I was, I did have the kind of luck of having, listening to a talk in person with Ajahn Brahm. And he gave this great image that struck, stuck out for me and stuck in my mind. And it's straight from Ajahn Chah, according to him. He was like, okay, listen to Ajahn Brahm. I was like, listen to this. Um, <laughs> and um, there's this way in which even if, uh, even though we have this, effort that we take to sit down on the cushion or to be mindful in any given moment, you know, and we direct our attention and then we're sustaining it. There's a way in which we also have to make that effort and not make any effort at all. Um, we don't. Or that's kind of the, what will give rise to that stillness. And so Ajahn Brahm said of, you know, the practice, he, he said that Ajahn Chah gave this example. He said, don't reach out you know, to the mango tree and pick the mango. Um, just hold your hand out and let the mango drop right in. So it's like we're holding our hand out to just let the present and moment experience drop right in. Because there's always something there. There's nothing actually to be reached for. There's no question there's going to be this experience there for us to be mindful of. And, you know, kind of going back, there doesn't, it doesn't matter what we're, be, what we're being mindful of in terms of the practice. We can be being mindful of a hindrance, you know. If we can be with the breath or whatever our object is, that's great. But all we need to do is just continue with this mindfulness what it is. Um, so there's no need to reach out and grab any mango. All we have to do is kind of hold our hand out and let it drop right in, you know. So that's what I view as one kind of helpful image. Another image that was really helpful for me once in practice um, is an image that Anushka Fernanda Pule used for um, kind, of, kind of to point towards the not over-efforting that's, that's really helpful to the practice. And 
you know, as you're sitting and practicing, it might be a helpful image for you. It's, she said, in the beginning of a sitting, just dropping effort like a falling leaf. You know, just falling leaf. You know, sometimes we're so eager and over-eager um, to kind of get into the practice. We miss that everything's right there and that it's fully accessible to us. So just kind of bringing these images in, especially if one happens to know, happens to know that one is kind of more of a striver or tendency towards that or caught up with like, how can I be concentrated? How can I really be more mindful? You know, it's not so much of a creation. It's just a dropping in to what's going on in the present moment. And then the final um, kind of factor of mind I wanted to talk about that contributes to concentration and mindfulness, stillness of the mind, is love and kindness for ourselves. It's really letting, letting go of the false ideas of ourselves that get in the way of... Um, and this is, this is absolutely crucial. It's, it's necessary to have this sort of this loving kindness for ourselves so that we can meet even the most difficult experiences. Because, you know, often what, what will get in the way of mindfulness, whether it's in daily life practice or it's actually sitting on the cushion, is that the experience is just um, difficult. And it's, um, therefore, there's kind of a hindrance in the mind. We don't want to meet it, you know? It's like, oh, this is painful. We don't want to meet it. So we have to have a lot of self-compassion and loving kindness in order to cultivate that practice and that continuity of practice. There's a way in which wise view is kind of the ground of this too because it's, the loving kindness can really arise out of knowing that, you know, what are we? Um, we're beings who are experiencing the shifting pleasant and unpleasant and neutral experience over and over again. And we don't have control over that. And in our mindfulness practice, that's what we are, that's, we're turning our attention to that, you know, relating to our, our experience in a totally different way than we have been or habituated to. You know, just turn away from that with, you know, have the discomfort and turn away. And so having that self-compassion is just, is, is sort of a necessary foundation. Again, Ajahn Brahm, he actually calls mindfulness kindfulness. It's how sort of necessary he feels that it is to the practice. And when I went to sit with him, he, it was this room full of people and this, everybody was like so excited that he was there and there was this really crowded, excited group of people. And he, his, his meditation instructions were notice what's happening right now and care about it. That was it. Notice what's happening right now and care about it. Now, he, now, he's a concentration master, you know? And that just, I think, really points to how important that caring factor is in the mind. You 
you know, every moment we're kind of starting over anew in the practice. And so um, whatever it is that we're meeting, we need to kind of be able to call on that, on a kind of a reservoir of loving kindness. So the more we can cultivate it, the better. And this can be a real challenge for people brought up or living in certain cultures where the messages are non-loving kindness for ourselves, <laughs> to be real honest. I was just struck the other day. Like, I, I was just, like, struck. I couldn't believe it. I said, we even get messages. Can you believe we even get messages that our bodies are not supposed to look the way they look? Like, we even get that. I mean, it's absurd. How could our bodies not look the way it looks right now? And <laughs> how could it not? And, you know, it's changing all the time if you haven't noticed. So, <laughs> so um, you know, we've, we're, we're, in doing this practice, we're um, kind of up against a lot. We need a lot of resources. We need a lot of resources. Um, and we need to shake ourselves up out of our cultural fogs. Because dominant culture has, has given us a lot of messages that are anti-dharmic, <laughs> anti-loving kindness, for ourselves and others, and it's getting worse. I think it's getting worse. Um, and so I really like to call on cultural messages um, that are not, not from our dominant culture, and remember that the practice actually comes from that, you know? Um, so I was having a challenging time in the practice in a retreat period I was doing in November, and my teacher um, at the time, Kamala Masters, you know, she's very steeped in um, the Burmese tradition that I've kind of gravitated towards as practice. And practiced a lot with um, various Asian masters as teachers, including uh, Munindraji and Sayada Upandita, these kind of grandfather teachers of ours. I mean, I don't know if everybody knows this, but you know, what we're getting is transmissions through these folks. And remember, this is not for our dominant culture messages. And, and one of the things that Kamala suggested to me was that I, before I, you know, at certain times in my practice, <clears throat> I say these kind of um, Buddhist prayers that she'd gotten from Munindra. She called them Buddhist prayers. But really, they were kind of, they're more elaborations on, on the refuges and kind of re, uh, reframings or um, different ways of saying loving kindness to oneself. So I just want to, and the reason I want to share this is because, you know, these are coming from Asian cultures where people who are practicing meditation are taking their awakening really seriously. Like, I'm, this is, I'm doing this for awakening. And, uh, um, and, and, you know, I'm part of a practice where this is really possible. And, and some, of the, some of the cultures now in Asia and in the past for, uh, certainly haven't been dominated by so much self-criticism, Right? And many people here, are, you know, come or their heritage is from some of these cultures also. But we, we're all quite affected and infected by, you know, damaging cultural messages instead. So what, part of what she said, and I, I did this practice, was incredibly helpful at the time. One of the, one of the phrases was, to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha in this way. No other refuge do I seek. The Buddha is my refuge true. By the speaking of this truth, may peaceful victory be mine. And it went forward. No other refuge do I seek. 
The Dhamma is my refuge true. By the speaking of this truth, may peaceful victory be mine. And in order to even say this to myself, to, to boost my practice, I had to kind of take seriously, okay, I'm doing this <laughs> for peaceful victory. What a, what a way to think about it. And it was good because it, sh- it, sh- it shook me up out of kind of, I would say, a cultural fog of, of maybe an underli- any underlying senses of unworthiness or underlying senses that uh, I can't do this, this isn't really for me. Um, you know, I had to connect with, with that and also connect with, by the speaking of this truth, it's like, I know this to be true. That, right, you know, I'm taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And for me, that really means I'm not taking refuge in um, the false kind of, false kind of, the false things, the false, the false ideas of what will bring happiness, greed, hatred, and delusion, you know, some of those dominant culture messages I was talking about that, you know, if we just shop till we drop, you know, we, you know, if we shop enough, then we'll be happy, (laughs) or, you know, if we just get rid of our job, we'll be happy, you know, if you just, (laughs) those kind of, um, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and Sangha, but, um, this idea, may peaceful victory be mine, if we can connect with, you know, really our, our, a well, what's there of a wellspring of our belief in, um, actual awakening for ourselves and the accessibility of it. The Buddha said, you know, he wouldn't teach it, paraphrasing him, <laughs> paraphrasing the suttas. He wouldn't teach it if it wasn't possible for us. Um, so another part of this um, prayer that she, that Kamala Masters gave to me that came from Munindra. In the end, I would recite, may there be for me all blessings. May all the devas guard me well. By the power of all the Buddhas, ever in safety may I be. Now, you don't have to believe in devas. I just, I take that to be the universe. So just shift changing the word to universe. May there be for me all blessings. May the universe guard me well. By the power of all the Buddhas, ever in safety may I be. So again, you know, if we shift our mindset outside of this dominant culture, can we really rest into a place where we can say to ourselves, may there be for me all blessings? You know, may I be that well. Have that sense of loving kindness for ourselves. Sure. Uh huh. May there be for me all blessings. May all the universe guard me well. By the power of all the Buddhas, ever in safety may I be. And then it went on. May, may there be for me all blessings. May all the devas guard me well. By the power of all the dhammas, ever in safety may I be. May there be for me all blessings. May all the devas guard me well. By the power of all the sanghas, ever in safety may I be. So in that word safety, you know, what the Buddha is generally pointing to is safety from the hindrances. You know, um, it's, he's, you know, in the suttas it said, he, he, he sets out the safe path for us, safety from the hindrances. So we, if we practice with this mindfulness and the stillness of mind, this concentration, then we'll be safe from the hindrances. 
So I took that to be the safety that I was seeking. It wasn't like I could, wasn't like I can actually be physically safe always, you know, but um, be guarded from the hindrances. And again, the reason I bring this up is because it took a cultural shift in my mind to say this prayer that came from Unindra. Um, May there be for me all blessings. I had to really rest. I had to really challenge myself. Do I have? An, do I have this much loving kindness? And as I said, it was a difficult part of the practice for me, and this helped me through. Um, so, I like to bring this in. I like to bring in a challenge to us to really shift our mindsets, because in order to really do the practice, we need to let go. The letting go in this world that we're living in right now involves a letting go of the false ideas that we are imbibing every day. You know, our mind's getting habituated by them. So we need to let go into a world of our own mind where caring and acceptance of ourselves is at the core and really deep and really deep because we'll we'll meet difficult experiences in the practice and we do every day you don't have to be sort of on a one month retreat you know like me going like this you just have to be at work and you you know (laughs) and you're um you know dealing with 300 emails or something right that's difficult um and So the letting go part, you know, even if this prayer, I was, it's, it was inculcating that loving kindness into the mind and a sense of worthiness for my own awakening. But we still are, you know, not treating it as a striving goal. We're letting go. And so in talking about this mindfulness and concentration as a letting go practice, I just want to kind of close with a quote from Ajahn Chah, you know, another one of our grandfather teachers this time from the Thai tradition, pointing really to the central importance of letting go. He said, this is very important. Don't try to get anywhere in the practice. The very desire to be free or to be enlightened will be the desire that prevents your freedom. You can try as hard as you wish, practice ardently night and day, But if it is still with the desire to achieve in mind, you will never find peace. The energy from this desire will be a cause for doubt and restlessness. No matter how long or how hard you practice, wisdom will not arise from desire. So simply let go. Watch the mind and body mindfully, but don't try to achieve anything. Don't cling even to the practice of enlightenment. And so we have this, there's a lot of paradoxes in the practice, but we have this balance of really resting into a a care for ourselves that takes our awakening seriously and also letting go and knowing that if there's a desire for a goal, we're not trying to create a goal, then we won't find peace in that moment. We just sort of let go and drop into the practice with peacefulness as really the aim, not as striving. So 
There's a few minutes left if anybody has anything they'd like to talk about this morning in the practice. Mm-hmm. What does peaceful victory mean? <laughs> That's a great, see, it's a um, great question because it is, as I said, coming from, it's a translation, you know, um, from a different culture than the dominant one here. Peaceful victory could be Nibbana, if you want it to be. I mean, it could be anything, one could interpret it in one's own way to be supportive to one's own practice. But I took it to be awakening. And, you know, as I said, not knowing that not to put a goal in the mind of some thing to cling to, as Ajahn Chah said, but may peaceful victory be mine. May peace be mine. It can just be may peace be mine. So, but I think, you know, in the classical practice, that could be really interpreted as Nibbana. Thank you, Tara. Mm-hmm. I love your talk. Uh, the phrase that I asked you to repeat was that about um, let all blessing. What, what is it again? May all blessings be my. May yeah. there be may. for me all blessings. May there be for me all blessings. Mm-hmm. And then you connected it to loving kindness, right? Mm-hmm. And wh- what was the. What was the barrier? Was it that you were not able to accept that you were worthy of all blessings? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I love that question. Um, in the moment, there was coming into the mind uh, quite a bit of self-doubt at times. Self-doubt about the, my ability, you know, like ability to keep doing the practice in the midst of difficult experience. Um, and with that self-doubt there was an underlying sense I think of not really being worthy in some way not really being up to it just a belief about the self I mean whenever there's a belief about the self it's taking taking ephemeral experience and solidifying it and creating a belief Um, and so what it really did what I felt that it did for me with loving kindness was to get me in touch with even a deeper sense of loving kindness. May there be for me all blessings was really, it felt audacious to me to ask for that. May there be that much of a sense of um, well-being. It seemed audacious. It might not seem that way to other people. So it kind of stretched me in terms of my understanding and integration of loving kindness. Mm-hmm. Because in a way, you know, we have to, we're practicing these things over and over again and seeing more and more over time and there's a way in which we have to integrate a, uh, a lot of it and, and integrate loving kindness also. So it felt like a, in a way saying this, may there be for me all blessings was integrating a deeper sense of caring for myself. Yeah. You know, it seemed audacious. And um, yeah. so and I just take note of the fact that it, it, this is a prayer that has been repeated by many, many people doing practice in um, and I can't remember where it came. Might this book that it came from was from Sri Lanka. Um, I love the so why interesting the way you answered the question because I think if I was hearing this sentence, um, I think maybe I would hear it 
not as deeply as you took it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it feels to me like it, it would be easy to say, may there be for me all blessings, like I think I, when I was raised Catholic, it seems like a very easy, mm. thing, easy thing to say. And, and it goes back to kind of, you know, self-love and self-confidence because very often, um, you know, I tend or people tend to think, oh, you know, I love myself, I'm fine, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not that bad on myself, like, you know, kind of delusion, like thinking that. And what you said really um, will make me think of, like, really going underneath, underneath, mm. underneath, underneath. Like, am I really fully accepting, may there be for me all blessing? Mm. Like, I feel I accept it at, mm. you know, at the superficial level. Mm. So I really like that you accentuated that because if you had read this poem, <laughs> I, uh, I would have just kind of, mm. you know, like it's just nice to hear, but it, it goes deep. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I like the way you said going under and under and kind of, yeah, for the, at the time for me, it was difficult just to get myself back on the cushion. It's like, okay, got to sit again. And um, <laughs> and so saying, may there be for me all blessings, was it, I, I needed a, a wellspring, you know, like a boost of loving kindness, and it did kind of go under. Appreciate that. And the interesting thing, uh, you mentioned that you heard the words and it didn't necessarily trigger for you um, the same experience that I, I might have had. Um, initially with those phrases is that different language will resonate with everybody differently and it's the part of doing this practice and hearing the Dhamma from different people and exploring the practice is to find what really resonates and works for us um, so it's all just a pointing towards one's own mind you know it's all just a pointing towards one's own experience yeah yeah, I guess on the other hand, I would say that that sentence like, is kind of universal mm-hmm. in the sense that it's more f- when you hear it, what's the context? It seems like for you, hearing this in that moment was revelatory. If I'm hearing this sentence in kind of like normal life, it wouldn't have that impact. But I think if I'm in a retreat or I'm, I'm really telling myself to turn towards it and look underneath, I think this is a great invitation to, you know, take any language at a different level. Mm-hmm. Like, make it work for me. Like, if, I'm, if it's not working for me, I'm just almost not hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can be true, too. Like I said, there's, the, there's a sort of integration process and the understanding things more deeply. So something might seem superficial or some teaching or some language might not really land at some time, but then later on when we're experiencing something different, it might. Yeah. So thank you, and I think we're pretty much out of time. Appreciate everybody's attention and everybody's practice. So just dedicating the merit. May any benefit that arises from our practice this morning of sitting in mindfulness 
exploring the Dhamma together. May any benefit that arises be shared with all beings, all beings in the skies, all beings on the land, all beings living in the waters, all beings underground. May all these beings be well and happy and peaceful. And may the benefits of our practice serve to awaken all beings.